0: When um, when the apostle uh, Peter wrote his section of the Bible, First uh, and Second Peter, uh, twice Peter said um, that he was writing to remind people. In First um, Peter uh, chapter one and verse thirteen, uh, he says it like this: He says, "I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, by way of reminder." In chapter 3 and in verse 1, he says it like this This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Uh, I feel like that's what I'm doing with these non negotiable absolutes. There's not anything new that you don't know already, but Peter is aware of how easy people forget, right? And so Peter says, I'm going to write this down uh, by way of reminder. And uh, I think that's what we're doing uh, in this series. So this morning, I'd like to remind you of a fourth uh, non-negotiable absolute, a non-negotiable absolute. What is it, or how is it, that I can access this wonderful, amazing grace of God? How do I tap into uh, the grace that God wants to offer me? You remember that uh, last week we talked about the grace of God. And uh, how great and how amazing God's grace really is. Uh, But just because God offers his grace to everybody doesn't mean that everybody takes it. Doesn't mean that everybody has it and uh, lives by it. And so there are a number of places in the scripture that talk about a conditional side of grace. I know we like to think of grace as unconditional. But there are a number of passages of scripture, for example, in uh, James chapter 4 and And verse 6, James says that grace goes to the humble. You know, God resists the proud, but grace goes to the humble. It's a condition. If you're not going to be humble, you don't get to taste God's grace. Uh, Pride gets in the way of experiencing the reality of God's grace. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said forgiveness, which is a dimension of grace, goes to the forgiving. If you're not going to be willing to forgive, you're not going to take that forgiveness and forgive the next person, well, then I'm going to withhold my forgiveness from you, and you will not experience this uh, dimension of grace. It's a sort of a condition. In um, Hebrews chapter 12, somehow grace and holiness are tied together. Make sure that nobody misses the grace that God wants to give, that passage says. And in um, Matthew chapter 11... Um, you know it's my favorite invitation that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 11 very grace-filled invitation Jesus says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden I'll give you rest Have people looking for rest all over the place I just got to have another vacation I just got to go here I just got to stop doing this and that and the other thing and Jesus says no you know what come to me I'll give you rest If you have this relationship with me that I've designed for you, uh, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Lean, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But the condition is, you've got to come to me. I have this wonderful grace, this great invitation that, you know, is light and easy and so forth. But you've got to come. And if you're going to stay kind of yourself and uh, refuse to kind of come to me uh, on my terms... Uh, well, then you will not experience the reality of this rest that uh, Jesus is trying to give. And so how do I access, how do I uh, tap into God's grace in my life? And uh, what makes this such a non-negotiable absolute is there's really only one way that you can tap into the grace of God. There's only one way that this amazing grace that God offers to everybody, there's only one way that it can become ours. Um, there's only one way that anybody can take advantage of the grace of God, and um, it's through faith. Faith that Jesus is God. It's through faith. It's a non-negotiable absolute faith. It's the means by which we tap into the grace that God is giving us. Faith is being satisfied with the superior worth of all that God gives us in Jesus. Faith is being satisfied with the superior worth of everything that God is giving us in Jesus. Faith is the opposite of sin. If you think about it, sin is what we do when our heart is not satisfied with God. Sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. We look for something someplace else or we act someplace uh, incongruent with Uh, the way God has called us to live. Sin is what we do when our hearts are not really satisfied uh, with all that God uh, has given us. Faith is being satisfied with all that God gives us. Faith is trust. Faith faith encompasses the past, the present, and the future. Uh, So many times when people think about faith, they think about the past, and they think about, you know, uh, I put my faith in Jesus when he was here, and he died on the cross, and it all happened in the past, and so forth. And, uh, and that's certainly true, it encompasses the past, but biblical faith is not only about the past, uh, biblical faith looks forward to the future and realizes that the promises that God has made for us about the future are equally as strong as uh, what God has done for us on the cross in the past. And, uh, and not only that, but biblical faith also uh, is the key that unlocks living in the present. Uh, faith is a full-orbed you know, uh, all-encompassing uh, lifestyle. Um, in fact, the Bible says, Second Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, uh, not by sight. And so um, a rather famous passage of Scripture in, um, uh, in Hebrews eleven 6, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 2. I got my tabs mixed up. In Ephesians chapter 2. Um, a rather famous statement says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, it's not as a result of works, sorry Charles Wesley, so that no one may boast. Aren't you glad you're not a Methodist, right? I mean, you know, here's the methods to kind of, here's how you tap into grace, you see, um, Here's how you tap. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, so that no one uh, may boast. Now, the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six. 6, it's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is really important. Faith is a non-negotiable absolute. It's the only way that we can tap into the grace that God is seeking to give us. And for a God-first person, 2 Corinthians 5-7, we live by faith, not by sight. So faith turns us away from our own insufficiency and turns us on to the overwhelming sufficiency of God. Faith turns us away from our own inefficiency, right, and our ability to ever earn our way with God or work our way into his favor and um, turns us on to God's sufficiency it's overwhelming sufficiency, and um, <clears throat> uh, when we understand that, we realize that any good that comes from our life is the result of grace being in our life, not the means to attain God's grace. Okay? And so, like Paul says in that Ephesians passage, uh, therefore, there is no uh, boasting. There's absolutely no boasting. First uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul talked about this in First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Where uh, he says this, um, he, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's Jesus who is these four things. He's our wisdom. It's not like we're wise. It's like, no, he's the source of our wisdom. He's where we learn, you know, everything that's worth knowing. Uh, He's the source of our righteousness. It's not that we're good people. It's that we've been declared good by God because of Jesus' goodness and his righteousness. Uh, He is our sanctification, this ongoing process of of God uh, reforming our lives and restoring our souls uh, he's the source of that, you know, uh, and he is the source of our redemption. And so therefore, you know, where's the boasting? Uh, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. It reminds me of this passage back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that uh, he knows me. And that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What do you boast about in life? What's your boast? You know, what are you working to uh, boast about? What's what's your sort of claim to fame? Well, faith boasts about God's grace. Faith boasts about God's grace. Faith brags about God's grace. Faith magnifies God's grace. It doesn't try. Uh, to nullify it. Um, Sometimes, um, I think when we try to uh, pay God back, we nullify the grace that he's trying to give us. You know, it's like if you receive a gift, and then you think, oh, i got to give a gift back so we can stay even. Listen, you're never going to be even with God. God is a grace-giving God, and there's no way you could ever pay him back. And when you try, you nullify the grace of God. You stop bragging about God's grace. You stop having that as your claim to fame. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by what? Faith. The life I live, I live by faith. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. The life I live, we live by faith uh, in uh, the Son of God who uh, gave himself for me, uh, who loved me and gave himself for me, and so forth. And then the next verse, verse 21, says this. I do not nullify the grace of God. I allow my life to be a picture of the grace of God. It's my claim to fame. It's the only thing that's really good about me is that God's grace has touched me. And Paul says, I don't nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's, that's, uh, and can it be that I should gain you know, from Christ's shedding of his blood? How does that work? Well, it's all by grace. And the only way that we can have that become personal and become ours is through faith. And again, uh, we have received, uh, John writes, you know, in John chapter 1, from the fullness of Christ, grace after grace after grace after grace. Grace is what deals with your past. Grace is the source of your life in the present. And grace is what you're counting on in the future that God will not change. And uh, we call it future grace. Grace. Um, God is the same yesterday, today, and he promises he will be forever. And so we count on God's grace showing up uh, in our future. It's an all-encompassing, you know, uh, uh, faith is an all-encompassing lifestyle. Uh, My whole future is dependent upon the grace of God. When Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, I'm like, you know, I'll be the same, you know. Uh, I'll be with you always, he says, uh, and so on. And so... Faith is uh, the non-negotiable absolute that taps in. And so because faith is the non-negotiable absolute that connects us to God, um, faith is used in the Bible in a number of different ways. All through the scriptures, um, um, faith is talked about. But there are different layers or different functions or different kinds of faith. And so I wanted to share a couple of these with you this morning. And uh, first of all, there's what I would call a false faith. It's people who think they have faith in Jesus, but don't. Um, John chapter 8 is, uh, I think, an example of of this. It says in John chapter 8, verse 31, uh, So Jesus said to the Jews, Who had believed in him? These Jewish, this group of people that Jesus is talking to, the Bible says they believed in him. Okay, And Jesus said, All right, I'll tell you what. If you abide in my word you live in my word if you stick with it uh, then you're truly my disciples you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free it's a great thought right the truth does set us free they answered him and they said hey we're offspring of Abraham we have this ethnicity called Judaism and we're already God's chosen people right we have faith in our ethnicity really and uh, we've never been enslaved to anyone I always think that's kind of funny. I mean, it's like you should read your history because you were in Egypt for quite a while as slaves. And uh, how is it that you, Jesus, say you'll become free? And so Jesus answers them, and you can read the whole thing here. But once you get to verse 48, the Jews said to Jesus, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They went from saying that they believed in Jesus to calling him a demon. Okay? And then it gets worse. You can read the dialogue. Uh, when you get down to verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. These are people who said they believed in him until he spoke, and until he said something that didn't jive with them, and then they were gone. And uh, so I want to say there is such a thing as a false faith. Um, and I want to say also, you know, your faith is only ever as good as what your faith is in. A lot of people think, well, it's about how big my faith is. You know, the Bible says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's in Jesus, you're in good shape. It's not about how big my, uh, yeah, your faith should grow. But the real thing about faith is it's never any better than the object that you place it in, that you put your faith in. And that's why faith is this huge non-negotiable absolute. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told the story. And he said, you know, the truth goes out like a farmer sowing seed. You know this story. And uh, the the truth falls on four different kinds of people. You remember? Uh, It falls like on the path, on hard hearts. And uh, the birds come and they take it away. So you can come to church. You can hear the truth. But if your heart is hard, you know, people. And uh, he called it rocky soil. And what happens is, oh, that really sounds good. and Oh, that's great. And we get all hyped up and we go out. But then when the sun comes out, you know, it dries up because there's no roots It's just like emotional. It's just like all excited, but no real kind of roots and so forth. And then the third kind of soil was the preoccupied kind of soil. It was like the soil where there was a lot of thorns and stuff. And so the seed would fall in that soil. It would take root and start to grow. But then Jesus said, like, the worries of the world would just choke it out. And that kind of faith in the truth would just die out there. And then there's finally the good soil where the seed falls, the truth falls. It takes root and it bears fruit. it changes your life, and it changes, uh, and enables you to influence other people's lives, and bears fruit, and so on. So, there's three kinds of what I would call false faith, and one good faith, one true faith. Um, false faith. Another scary passage, uh, it seems to me, is in um, uh, Matthew chapter seven, uh, verse twenty-one. And uh, here's what Jesus said. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. This is a scary passage to me. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we preach sermons? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Uh, I always think of my kids in this passage because if I say to them, you're right, here's what I want you to do. Take out the garbage. They don't want to take out the garbage. They do something else, and then they want to be praised for. They're, well, I made my bed. Why well, didn't ask you to make your bed. I asked you to take out the garbage. And and that's what Jesus is saying. He's got some people here. He said, you know, take out the garbage. Well, no, I'm going to go make my bed. Lawlessness. Like, I'm not going to submit to what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. And um, Jesus is like, you know, you might call me Lord, and you might do really good things and do ministry things and the whole thing. But you know what? I don't know you. I call that false faith. You can go all through life, you know, just kind of having a, a false faith. And so I think the scriptures warn us in various ways, you know, to make sure uh, that we 're in the faith, there are, uh, our enemy, of course, is uh, a deceiver. In um, second uh, Corinthians verse 13, uh, uh, chapter 13, verse five, examine yourselves to see whether you 're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you. If you're a believer, the Lord is actually in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Test yourself. Make sure that you got the real deal because there is such a thing as false faith. Okay. Second uh, kind of faith that I think the scriptures uh, mention is um, what I might call second-hand faith. It's faith that develops by uh, believing what somebody else tells you. Okay? And um, an example of this, I think, is in John chapter 4. And uh, verse 42, this is the woman at the well. You remember Jesus meets the woman at the well and so forth. And she goes and tells everybody about Jesus. Okay, But then they come themselves to meet Jesus. And here's what they say. They said to the woman, "Uh, uh, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. uh, For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. There's a difference between secondhand faith and having faith. A personal encounter with the living God. And uh, secondhand faith, you know, I think it's important to understand that um, we we all need secondhand faith. We all start out with secondhand faith. We all start out by somebody. We all start out depending on the apostles to tell us about, you know, Jesus and what he did. We all start out with secondhand faith. But if we don't graduate out of secondhand faith, we can go all through life. And just have uh, what I would call a secondhand faith. We give assent to the truth, but we haven't experienced it. And uh, when you believe that you, because you've experienced the grace of God and you've tasted it, it's very different. It's much deeper um, than just having secondhand kind of faith. Um, if we don't uh, pick up the Bible for ourselves, which God says is a living book through which He speaks, if we don't hear from God ourselves, and have a direct encounter with God. If we um, ask the Bible, you know, if we were to ask the Bible, how, how do I develop faith? Well, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from God, from Christ, the words of Christ. It doesn't come from a second-hand source or third-hand source. We can start there. But ultimately, we want to get to the place where this is a reality. If I say to you, man, you know what? Chocolate marshmallow ice cream is the best ice cream you could ever taste. You might say, okay, I agree with you. You know, But once you taste it, it's a whole different level of faith, right? And that's what I'm saying. Secondhand faith versus firsthand faith is a world of difference. And so in the scriptures, there is this thing called um, secondhand faith. And uh, it's important that we hear from God ourselves. Faith is dependent on a correct understanding, you know, really of the Word of God. Second-hand faith leaves you uh, vulnerable. Uh, in Timothy's, uh, in in Timothy's, uh, Paul's letters to Timothy, uh, there are some people who fall away from the faith because they kind of had a second-hand faith. And then Paul says, you know, that he uh, stayed true to the faith all the way through. Um, because he didn't have a second-hand faith, but a first-hand faith. And then a third kind of faith, I want to suggest, is a saving faith. Saving faith. And uh, saving faith is where your faith is an expression of your own personal convictions. Uh, where you've made doctrinal truth personal. And uh, since a person right is made up of their intellect and their emotions and their choices or their mind, their heart, and their will, uh, I want to suggest that saving faith shows up in all three parts of your soul. Uh, saving faith is uh, grounded on correct knowledge or truth. You know, you really can't trust or put faith in something you don't know about, right? And so it's always based on uh, a true knowledge, a correct knowledge of God uh, through the scriptures and so forth, Uh it's being persuaded that Jesus' truth, teaching is factual, but that's, it's more than that. Uh, James, in his uh, little book, says that even the demons believe that. The demons believe that God exists and so on. And so saving faith is believing in a person. Saving faith is putting your faith in a person, Jesus. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right, and you'll be saved. Uh, Jesus is the source of God's grace. And so when you put your faith in a person, it always affects your emotions. When you put your faith in a person, you know, that you get to know, it always affects your emotional life, right? Um, And when we put our faith in Jesus and you delight in that person, it's called worship. That's what we do when we come together. We express our delight, our excitement. Uh, about the person of Jesus. Um, It's a spiritual apprehension that God gives us. Um, Again, when we experience this reality of uh, firsthand faith, it's a faith that rises from our hearts, not just our heads. And uh, Jesus uh, in um, Matthew, Matthew 16, 16, you remember this passage? This is where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Jesus comes back to him in verse 17. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, has made this real to you, has revealed this to you. Saving faith is when there's a direct encounter between God and us, right? Next week, Lord willing, we'll uh, talk about how the Holy Spirit is a non-negotiable absolute and um, the Holy Spirit's job is what he did in Peter's life when uh, he enabled Peter to understand who Jesus really is. And it's that God encounter that's uh, uh, what creates uh, what we would call saving faith. Uh, the decisive part of faith is when God acts in our uh, hearts. And uh, I love this uh, passage of scripture in Second Corinthians Um I don't know if you've ever really thought about this but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 it says this for God who said let light shine in darkness the God who said let there be sun and let there be moon and let there be the God who created the lights and so forth uh, for God who said let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts Paul's telling them to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ until God makes that happen in your hearts, and you're aware of it, there's a shift that takes place. Jesus isn't just a historical person. He's not just a great teacher. He's not some ancient rabbi. He's not some uh, you know, prophet in a long line of prophets. He is the face of God. The face of God. But God has to do that. That's the Spirit's job in our life, to enlighten. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And until God makes that shift, you know, uh, in our hearts, um, it's not a saving faith. And when, but when there is such a thing as saving faith, when God makes us aware of who Jesus really is, um, it's a saving kind of faith. Now, another layer of faith I want to suggest to you is what we might call a justifying faith. Justifying faith. Uh, Saving faith is experiential. You know something changed in your life. You know why? Because uh, your mind thinks different. Your emotions feel different about yourself, about people, about God. Uh, your will begins to kick in and you start to make choices that you never made before about what you do with your time and what you do with your money and who you choose to associate and hang around with and your values and all the rest. Of it. You're aware, man, something has shifted on the inside of my life. Justifying faith, on the other hand, um, is not experiential. Um, justifying faith Uh, is the belief that God has justified us or declared us righteous. And uh, the Bible talks about this a lot, uh, but we don't feel it in our senses. We realize something has happened to our records in heaven. Uh, It's something that God does as a judge, as our judge. Uh, It's the action of a courtroom. It's our legal position before God has been pronounced not guilty uh, by reason of faith not guilty by reason of faith um, uh, and faith in Jesus. And it's a double transfer. Our sin has been transferred to Jesus' account, and Jesus' righteousness has been transferred to our account. We've been declared justified. It's the scene of a courtroom where a judge makes a decision, and this decision is based on our faith. And, um, you know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of like, uh, I think it's kind of like a person being declared a U.S. citizen. You're still the same person before and after the declaration. You're still the same personality. Still, but you're just glad all over because your status has changed, right, in the country. And I think that's how it is with a Christian. Once you realize that you've been justified, you realize your status has changed before God. It makes you glad all over, right? But it's not experiential. You are still the same personality, still the same issues, still have... You know, same stuff to deal with and so forth. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a different status. It's just uh, comfortable to know that God's for me and not against me. And uh, I don't know, every once in a while I envision God smiling at me instead of uh, being mad at all the stupid things that are still a part of my life. Uh, all the knucklehead kind of parts of me and so forth. Uh, And so, again, I think, you know, when we do this, we uh, realize that, uh, you know, it's a whole different kind of faith, a justifying faith is a change of status in heaven. Um, There's another layer of faith on top of that, and I want to suggest I just call it uh, everyday faith, everyday faith. Uh, 1 John 5 and verse 4 is a great passage of scripture. In fact, I suggested that uh, people memorize uh, this passage of scripture in response to this morning's message. Uh, for everybody who has been born again, every true Christian, every God-first believer, overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. Just stops complaining that the world made me do it. Every single believer overcomes the world how does that happen and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith everyday faith it's how we overcome the world that we live in everyday faith we are not able to overcome our sinful habits in the world we live in without help from God without wisdom and power from God and God's power is not found in other people and God's power is not found in ourselves it's found in his spirit it's found in him right You know how the Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding. That'll end you down the tubes. Uh, But instead, trust in the Lord. Put your faith in the Lord. You need God's help to overcome the world, and it happens by faith. Uh, He sends his agent, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. Just like Paul said in Galatians, you know, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not me that lives in me, right, right? but Christ who lives in me. How does that happen? Well, Christ sends his spirit to live in our spirits and to animate our spirits. And it's a matter of uh, growing to learn how to allow the life of Christ uh, to flow through us. The Holy Spirit grows our faith. Uh, The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit encourages us. The Holy Spirit brings to mind what we have learned from Scripture. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit brings the Bible to life. The Holy Spirit uh, uses the Bible to break up unbelief. He gets rid of our ignorance. He gets rid of our prejudice. Uh, He restores our souls. He rebuilds our character to be like Christ. It's the life of God flowing through us, everyday faith. You know, God's first people uh, live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so it's very important for us to kind of have this everyday faith. Uh, uh, too often, again, I think when people think about faith, they think about the past. I'm trusting Jesus to get me into heaven and to keep me out of hell, but I don't trust him to help me love my neighbor or forgive the person who offends me or work my finances out and so on and so forth, you know? Um, we saved by his life living in us. If I were to ask you, how are you saved? You would probably look to the past and say, well, I'm saved by Christ dying on the cross for me. And that's true. But what about right now? Uh, what about the resurrection? I mean, yes, Jesus died for you, but guess what? He also rose for you. What's the most obvious implication of resurrection? It's life. Remember Jesus, 10, 10, John, 10, 10? You know, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And have it now, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him might have what, everlasting life. The present, everyday faith that produces life. If you think about it, um, back in the Old Testament, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God said, "Look, there's this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil. Don't eat from that, because in the day you eat from that, you'll die." Well, they ate. You all know the story. Well, I always ask myself, like, well, what died that day? Well, their bodies didn't die. I was, you know, when God says, in the day you eat, you'll die. I'm expecting them to drop dead. They didn't drop dead. Their body didn't die. Their souls didn't die. They still had intellect, and they still had feelings, and they still had the ability to make choices. Remember, they hid from God, and they were, you know, all that, you know? And so what died? I'll tell you what died. Their spirit died the part of us that connects us with God died. That's what died. The life of God went out of them. And all they had was their natural life. And so when you think about that, um, what is it that salvation brings to us is it brings back the life of God in us. I think uh, before uh, faith failed, Uh, for Adam and Eve, every thought, every emotion, every word, every deed, every attitude that Adam and Eve had was a perfect representation of God. They were a representation, a visible representation of the invisible God. And everything they thought and did and so forth was an exact representation. When the life of God went out of them, That's all they had, and that's why the Bible says that you and I, when when we come into the world, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. God's not a part of our, we don't have God's life in us. And until Jesus comes back and lives the life of God and offers the life of God by grace so that we can be the recipients of that life and that life can begin to be restored. And uh, that uh, unity of spirit with God can be uh, taken up again. It's God's life that was lost until Jesus came. In Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about this in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 in a great way. Um, Let me just read a a few verses here starting at verse uh, like 4. But God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. We've got the the life of God restored to us by the grace... By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show off the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast and so on. We have been restored to have the option to Uh, live the life of God, and it's in process, and it doesn't all happen here. Uh, It gets finished in heaven, but that restoration of that life that was lost way back in the Garden of Eden is what uh, faith begins to uh, restore to us. Faith is a non-negotiable absolute. Uh, It it can be just a tiny spark of faith. It can be the size of a mustard seed, Uh, but if that faith is in the person of Jesus, you can expect eventually it will overcome your life. It will move from a false faith, if that's what it is, or a secondhand faith that you picked up maybe from your parents or whatever. I mean, you know, you come to church and you listen to a pastor speak. You know, what you really want to do is you want to hear what is God saying to me. You don't really care what Dave DeVries says to you. You want to hear what does God say to you. You go to a Bible study. You want to hear firsthand. God, what do you want? What are you saying to me here? You know, you hang out with other Christians and you're listening. And haven't you had this experience where all of a sudden you just know this person is talking to this person, but it's God is talking to you through that conversation. That's the value of small groups. That's the value of hanging out with other Christians. All of a sudden, God will use us to speak into somebody else's life. And we'll be aware of it in the spirit. We'll all of a sudden like light up our mental dashboard and we'll be like, ding, 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 ding. God's talking to you. Same way when you study scripture for yourself. Don't you read like, you know, 10 verses and ask God to speak to you and, and, and all of a sudden there's one verse just jumps off the page. It's like, my goodness, God is speaking to me. That's what we want. We want, we want to get from that second hand to that first hand kind of faith. And we want to have a saving faith where we taste that ourselves. We don't want to say, well, you know, my pastor said or my mother said or, you know, my friend said and all of that kind of stuff. That's fine. It's where we start but it's not where you want to end. You want to have a saving faith where you realize something is going on inside of your life that's actually transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And then we want to know that we have this justifying faith and, and we want to get to the place where our everyday faith is just as strong as our saving faith, uh, where we trust God for whatever it is that he allows into our lives and we walk forward with him uh, confident you know, that he Uh, is behind uh, our thinking and our trust. Faith is uh, the only connection between all that God has done for us in Christ, between all of his grace and our personal lives. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable absolute. It's worth fighting about. Uh, We live in a world where people accept Jesus, but not as the Son of God. And uh, that we need not give up. And that we can't tolerate and just say, well, that's fine. You know, everybody thinks what they want. to. Th- no, faith, is a non- faith in Jesus is a non-negotiable absolute of a God-first life. But I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? I'm just reminding you of what you already know from the scriptures. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause here again to say thank you so much for your great grace, your amazing grace. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've made it possible for us to actually experience a saving faith that has all these other dimensions that are part of it. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would help us if we can identify ourselves in in some layer of where our faith is at, that wherever it's at, we can get to the next level. And that you would uh, enable us and help us, Father, to trust you in the way that you desire that we would have this first-hand, uh, ongoing relationship with you that shows up in our everyday lives. To that end, Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would have freedom in our spirits, for Jesus' sake. Amen.